we've been in this series we started last week called Entrusted. And this is what Jesus was doing at the end of his life, handing over the ministry, handing over the keys of the kingdom. Listen to me as I teach you through these things. This is going to happen. This is what the kingdom is going to look like. This is what you're going to need to succeed in all of that. And so last week we talked a little bit about uh, how everyone has a role to play and gifts to contribute in God's kingdom, that no one can be shut out. And then this week we read a parable that looks like somebody can be shut out. So I am curious then as to what this could mean. This doesn't mean what we think it means because how could Jesus just do this and shut someone out? How could Jesus say, well, you were all ready, but some were more ready than others? And I thought that it wasn't about that. I thought it was about this other thing called faith. Well, let's dive into what this parable is actually teaching. Generally speaking, I would say that we're pretty bad at waiting. Like, we just, we can't do it. We have special rooms in the doctor's offices, the waiting rooms. Go here and amuse yourselves because it's going to be a long wait. We, we get frustrated when we call customer service. There's uh, 500 people ahead of you. It's a three and a half day wait. You're just going to have to deal with it. It's not, it if you want it solved, then that's what it's going to be doing. Um, I think for me, my psychosis started when I was in middle school uh, because we would have these fire drills um, and so I would sit there and get really, really anxious about waiting for the fire alarm to go off. And I would uh, start to kind of like get a little panicky and a little bit hyperactive. And uh, it was all this fire alarm. Like if I knew the fire alarm was going to happen, like there, we were going to have a fire drill, I would just, I would get antsy. I just couldn't, I couldn't do it. That's where my psychosis started. And then um, when, when it would go off, yeah, it would be fine. It, like that was we got over the shock. If I didn't know it was coming, I would be fine too. But it was that anticipation. It was that getting ready. It was that being prepared that there's going to be something that goes off. You don't know when it's going to happen. It could be five minutes. Other people were fine. They would sit at their desk and do their math homework or whatever it might be. I was a nervous wreck. I don't know why. It, it's just, you know, that's where it happens. Um, our tech usage is one way that we recognize our growing inability to wait for anything. But as believers in, in looking at this historical arc of God's story, we can only deduce that waiting must have some sort of meaning for us. That in the waiting, there is something going on. There is something that we need to be doing the time spent waiting for a message or event can be just as meaningful as the message or event itself. Ashley Hale's writing in Christianity Today says, Waiting ultimately reorients our stories. We are not the primary actor on a stage of our own making or choosing. Rather, God is the hero of the story. Will we be content to wait on his work? In these in-between times, what character will be formed in us as individuals and as a culture? In these in-between times, what character will be formed in us as a church and as a community? Technologies give us the illusion of God-like power and control. We can summon up any piece of information with one click. We can purchase anything with a quick swipe and expecting others to operate around our own schedules. 
but they can't overcome the limits of our creatureliness, nor should we want them to. The created order with its boundaries of time and space and body is not an imposition on our freedom, but the life-giving water in which we swim. Limits are a part of what make us human. They show us more of who we are, creatures, not the creator. Waiting does something to us and for us. Now, I think partly to understand this parable, we need to understand wedding customs during Jesus' day. And it's significant that he uses a parable that talks about a wedding because this is a really human moment, a really emotional time for people. It's loaded with context. And in the context of the wedding, Jesus is saying the kingdom of heaven is going to be like a wedding. We've been to weddings, maybe, maybe our own, maybe someone else's that we know. We have known weddings, and things get emotional. People get emotional. There are high stakes involved in a wedding. And weddings in Jesus' day were just as emotionally loaded as ours. Guests would assemble at the home of the bride, and they were entertained by her parents while they waited for the groom. When the bridegroom approached, the guests, including the bridesmaids, would all light torches, and they went out to greet him. And in a, a parade-like fashion, the entire party walked to the groom's home where his parents were waiting for the ceremony and the extended banquet that would usually continue for several days after that. We want to get in and get out. That's, that's the wedding. That's the whole thing. But weddings in Jesus' day they may have taken all week long. There was a time where you would get engaged and you would go and live with your parents and you would stay there. And when the day of the wedding was time, the, the groom would come and pick you up and you would go back to his house and then you would party for a week. And Jesus and his mother, in fact, and the disciples were part of this wedding party in John 2 when they were at Cana. And they ran out of wine and that was a big party foul back in the day because you don't want to run out of wine when you're trying to entertain guests. You want to be a good host. You want to be hospitable. And so Jesus did the right thing and created more wine for the party guests because the party could keep going and going and going. So in this parable, <clears throat> there's a few things that we need to notice that are different than what we would expect. And we already talked about one of those differences and the fact that we learn that everyone has something to contribute, and yet some people are out. But in this parable, for whatever reason, the groom does not show up on time. Hours pass, and many of the waiting wedding party fall asleep. And so finally, at midnight, they are awakened by this shout. He's coming, and so they all wake up, they trim their lamps, and they head out to meet him. Now, only five have brought extra oil, and the other five have used up their oil, waiting for him to be there. They attempt to borrow some from the wiser bridesmaids, but they are rejected, which is an interesting thought. Because we would think, reading this or listening to this, we would think, well, yeah, I would just hand some oil over. That would be fine. I could share what I have with someone else. That would be a really good thing for me to do. But that's different. So it must mean 
something for us. And so they search for a 24-hour convenience store in search of oil. And that's not easy because oil isn't always sold at midnight in that time. And so they miss the coming of the bridegroom and they miss the parade back to his house. And they finally catch up to him at the house and they're locked out and they're dismissed and they say, we don't know you. That's interesting. We just, we were just here. I don't understand how, because we missed the parade, you don't know us anymore. We just had to go get some oil. We're here, you know us. Why can't we come in? And then Jesus concludes, keep awake. You do not know the day nor the hour. This is a very interesting parable. This is a very confusing, this is a very difficult one to understand. There's three things in this message. There are three main things. Stay alert, wait with purpose, and be prepared. This parable's easiest interpretation is that preparation is more valuable than sort of free-spiritness, and the unprepared will be left behind at Christ's coming. The get-things-done Marthas who feel chastised by Luke 10 love this interpretation, while the more reflective Marys feel sort of ashamed. Like, I need to get busy, I need to do something so that when Jesus is here, I'm ready. There's an old bumper sticker that says, Jesus is coming, look busy. I think that's, we get from this parable here. I think this is the idea of, we sort of want to interpret this in the way of, I've got to be doing something so that when Jesus is here, it looks like I'm ready to go. But what if, just walk with me here, what if this parable, what if this scripture, what if this story that Jesus is telling is not so much an end of the age warning, so much as it's a reflection about God's interaction with us and the natural consequences for failing to take personal responsibility? What if it's not talking about be prepared for the end of time? What if it's more talking about be responsible for what you have right now? Be responsible for what's been entrusted to you because there will be a time when we cannot use it anymore. See, I think Jesus is concerned not so much about the waiting, not so much the delay, not so much the end of age. I think he's concerned about the readiness of all these things. See, the parable compares readiness to participate in the celebration of a wedding to the readiness to participate in the coming of the kingdom. The parable is not about the delay of Jesus' return, but the delay is a factor for us. What are we going to do with the delay? What are we going to do with that time in between? Who are we going to become in those moments of waiting, of that moment of anticipation? In moments of waiting and anticipation, I just turn into a puddle. I just got a lot of nervous, anxious energy that's going on, and I can't control it. And other people are like, hmm, that's fine. Everything's good. This is fine. See, the unknown length of time is really not the issue. The determining factors are the character of God and our response to it. 
Evil and justice are still plaguing problems in our time. And the teaching of Jesus and the Christian view of God insists that they do not get the last word. That is a stance of faith. But it calls for faithfulness and mission fulfilling the purposes of God for creation. Or as Richard Bachman puts it, the delay of the return of Christ is filled with the mission of the church. That in that in-between time where Jesus was gone and he's going to come back. It's not about preparing the way. It's not about grooming each other for this great return. It's about the people we're turning into. It's about filling the world with the mission of the church, the mission of God to be on mission in this time now. That Jesus has said, be prepared because you're not going to be able to use it when you leave. You see, watching here, waiting with purpose, watching is not a passive activity. It's not like a dog sitting at the window waiting for their owner to come home. That's what we would think of as watching and waiting. But the metaphor for readiness and faithful fulfillment of God in the Christian calling. It's on a surface level. The warning to watch does not fit because they're seen sleeping. They go to sleep in this parable. All of them sleep. Even the wise bridesmaids fall asleep. So it's not a warning that we can't fall asleep. So waiting means something else. Gregorio in Greek literally means be or stay awake, but it's used metaphorically with the sense of be Alert. Watch with purpose. It's not passive, but it is active watching and waiting and being alert and being ready. The text reminds us that the that entrance into the banquet does not hinge on what we presume to know ahead of time. Instead, it asks us to prepare, to wait, and to avoid assuming that we have enough in our lamps right now. That our lamps are continually burning and they're continually going down. That maybe we don't have enough knowledge or faith or love and we can always get more. See, I think this is a warning, most of all, to those people who kind of feel comfortable in their relationship with Christ. They feel comfortable about their position as a Christian. They feel comfortable with sort of how they've done so far. That they accepted Christ into their life and they joined the church and now they're just kind of waiting for heaven. That there's nothing to do in the meantime. But I think what Jesus is warning us here about is that same posture. Is that same idea to say, you know what, you're not quite done yet. You're not quite there. Because in order for you to be let in, you're going to have to have enough oil in your lamp to keep faith. Because faith is really the key here. The only way that we're let out of the, bride, the bridal party into the room is if we don't have faith anymore. When we get to the end and there's just nothing there. It's obedience to God. It's that idea of 
understanding who he is and loving him and keeping his word faithfully. It's not some sort of material thing that we can gather and, and get more of. Jesus is saying, these five wise bridesmaids, they had the faith. And then they did things that helped them get more faith. They reinforced their faith every moment. Because we wanted to stay prepared. We wanted to stay alert. Because when Jesus comes back, we don't want to be looking at him and saying, where has my faith gone? If only I had done more to prepare myself for this moment. If only I had done more to prepare myself for the coming of Christ. The wise maidens are prepared for the bridegroom. They have oil for their lamp. That is to say, they have prepared for the coming of the Lord with what I would call responsible deeds of discipleship, including works of love and mercy. These are not works that we have fought against since the Reformation. You need to do these certain things in order to get into heaven. You have faith, and faith provides a way for you to do the great and glorious works of God. And I think somehow along the line we've missed that. That faith alone was enough. Yes, it is. But if you have faith, what does that cause you to do? What kind of person do you want to be with your faith? While we're waiting here, what should we do? How should the kingdom come? How should Jesus be declared? How should we reach out to people that don't think like us or don't look like us? Should we be open to them or should we close them out? Where are we in that process? They are the wise ones who have heard Jesus' teachings and have acted on them. The wise ones prepared for delay. So when their faith in the bridegroom's return is tested, they have resources available to sustain them. And listen to how this can work in our lives. In the middle of life's joy and pain, ease and adversity, intrigue and boredom, the faith of the wise remains enough. They keep their light shining before others, continuing in community, study and prayer, doing the deeds of mercy, offering forgiveness and spreading justice and peace. They have not relinquished their hope that the world and each one of us one day will be transformed and fully reconciled to God. And with the Spirit's guidance, they have built their lives into their lives, the dis disciplines and habits of a lifetime that engender hope and empower living as if citizens of the kingdom of heaven. In other words, it doesn't matter when Jesus comes back, right? In other words, we've got what we need right now from the Holy Spirit to prepare our lives so that when we get into problems, when things don't go the way we think they should, when we get aggravated, when we get angry, when we step in a place where things are going wrong. Jesus, I've had enough oil in my lamp to keep it burning strong. And there are days when we come up short. There are weeks where we come up short. We think about our energy. We think about our just 
passion to drive forward, to move forward. It usually happens somewhere around three o'clock on a Wednesday. We're like, this week will never end. I'll never be enough for these people. And we need something else to refresh us. Sometimes we call it caffeine. But in this case, Jesus is teaching that there's something beyond that. There's a life of faith that as we carry our faith around, as we carry our lamps, as we shine to the world, it's going to go out really quickly when we give and give and give of ourselves. And so Jesus is asking, where is your oil? Your lamp is going out. Where is your oil? Often we presume that we have all the time in the world to tend to certain matters. Rebuilding a broken relationship, learning a skill like fly fishing, offering a needed word of gratitude or forgiveness, replacing a bad habit with a good one, achieving an important goal, changing careers, deepening our relationship with God, contributing to society, spending time with our children, faithfully following Christ. We got time, right? We got lots of time for that. I'll do that tomorrow or the next day or the next day. We put off for today that which can be done for tomorrow. But in this parable, there is a note of finality. The bridesmaids considered foolish or not ready. And when they returned to the banquet, now prepared for the celebration, the bridegroom does not open the door and it's too late. It's too late. If only I'd had more time. If only I'd had another hour to get this done. God entrusts us all with doing what we can. And it's our own personal responsibility in that. To take it upon ourselves. Any religion that teaches you that you don't need personal responsibility is not something that's from God. Because our God is teaching us that there is a component to your faith that calls you into action, that calls you to be responsible for that faith. To say that we just can't stand passive and expect God just to fill us up automatically, that these things just happen because they're supposed to happen. But how many stories have you heard of people who are on fire for God, for Christ, for the Holy Spirit, for the church, and have just wandered away because they thought it would just happen automatically. And here's the other thing. Here's why the wise bridegroom, why the wise bridesmaids could not give that over. Have you had conversations with faith with other people? You can't give them faith. You can't expect to talk about Jesus and just make it magically happen. There is a responsibility to themselves to explore the things that you're saying. I hear you that your life has been changed by Jesus. Now let me walk that path together with you. You can't do it for them. You can't hand that faith over. There is joy and purpose to be found in living to the fullest of our abilities. But there is something profoundly debilitating about having everything done for us. This parable is not easy. And some may feel that those wise bridesmaids were selfish. 
But near the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus instructs, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. And at the end of that same sermon, Jesus reminds, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the ones who does the will of my Father in heaven. He said it then, and he repeats himself, and he repeats himself, and he repeats himself. It's almost like we don't get it. It's almost like we don't understand that there is a responsibility on our part to participate in the great tapestry of love and generosity and justice to the world and mercy and compassion and openness. That the fruit of the Spirit that Paul was talking about in Galatians are not just suggestions, are not just good ways to live, but they are the fruit that people who have actively taken a role in the kingdom of God bear already in their lives. All of those things, we, we, they're not checklists. They're not things that we have to just start doing. Oh, I need to be a better Christian, I just need to find some joy. No, Jesus and Paul and God and all the prophets have said, following God's will brings you joy. It brings you peace and patience and kindness. The oil in this parable must be understood as our faith, good works, practices, spiritual reserves that remain constant and shine during good times as well as times of waiting on God. And those will be big times in tragedy and heartbreak and moments where we have to walk away from everything that we've ever known. And God says, wait, he doesn't say anything to me. Wait, where is he? I thought he was going to be here. I'm getting a little bit nervous. I'm, I'm getting a little bit anxious that he's not here. Where is he? But notice that we can have peace. We can have that moment to slow down and sleep. This parable should not be used also as justification for not helping people in need, but rather taken to heart as we examine our own actions and motivations. Do we take responsibility where we can, or, we, or do we want others to step in and do things for us that we could do for ourselves? I want to tell you that the church functions best when things aren't being done for you. That might be hard to hear. That might be difficult to understand because it might be not a tradition that you've grown up in. The pastor does everything. I come here and I consume and then I go back to my house. And then next week, the pastor does everything. I consume and I go back and I live my life. But the church works better when it's not all coming from me, but when we can all take responsibility, when we can all join in and say, here's what I think needs to be done. Here's the way I think church should be handled. Here's the things that I see our community doing. And we can rise above that. We can join together and gather in that moment. Early Christians had to adjust to the reality that Jesus did not return as they fully expected. Paul was wrong. Paul believed that he would see Jesus return in his lifetime, and it didn't happen. As Paul misunderstood the things that Jesus was saying. 
Their mission was to wait expectantly and in the meantime live faithfully and courageously and hopefully. And that is our mission still. The point is living expectantly and hopefully. Christian hope rests on trust that the God who created the world will continue to love the world with gentle providence, will continue to process the process of creation until the project is completed. Christian hope rests in the trust that the God who created the world will continue to redeem and save the world by coming into it with love and grace. And so living in hope does not mean immunity to the harsh realities of history. But just the opposite, it means living confidently and expectantly, trusting that the Lord of history continues to come into life with compassion and redemption and hope. And so the challenge here is to keep enough oil on hand for the lamps when the bridegroom finally appears, to roll up sleeves and to work for the kingdom that is always coming and breaking into history. And so the question we have to ask ourselves this morning, how are we prepared to wait? Not how are we preparing, but how are we going to wait? What should we do as people, as believers in Christ, here specifically at Hyphen Church, how are we going to wait? Living as a wise human means being prepared for God's reign. Readiness is an attitude, a commitment, a lifestyle. It means living in ways that change with the character of the kingdom and being faithful at all times. And so here's a few things that I came up with. You can ignore them, you can argue with me about them, but... Here's what I came up with. I think it's really important that we gather with other people who are waiting. I think it's important that we gather together and understand that we're all here in a waiting room. And I think as we gather together with people who are waiting and understand that activeness of waiting, the church can do amazing things. And not just this church, but how do we encourage other churches to learn to wait well? How do we encourage other people to wait well? Here's another thing. I think we should avoid communities that practice predicting Christ's return. Don't do it. Don't listen to people who think they know. Don't listen to people who tell you, Jesus is coming back in my lifetime. We see the signs. We know everything that's happening. This is the end times that we're in right now. Don't listen to it. Because do you know what Jesus said about God's return? He didn't know. And so if you think that you know better than Jesus, oh boy, you're in big trouble now. These are false prophets. These are false witnesses. And I don't, I'm not ashamed to say it. I will call them out on that. That is behavior that is not becoming of Christians. If we are always looking to the end, if we're saying God's coming back in my lifetime, I'm just going to sit here and wait. That's it for me. I'm out. We don't know when he's coming back. And so now our job is to prepare. It's to wait well. Here's another thing. While it is wise to fill our lamps with good things, we should always remember that those things are for use on this side of eternity. There's already more than enough at the banquet. 
And this is great. This is a great reminder because we think, okay, well, I have only so much compassion. I only have so much generosity. I only have so much joy that I can give. And what's, what's the phrase that we use in sports? Leave it all out on the field. I want you to ride the bus home tired. Because here's the thing. We don't need to take our lamps into the kingdom with us. Everything that we have now as a church, all the, all the teachings of Christ, that's not for heaven. That's not for after. That's for now. That's for this time. Christian people live in hope and they never get up, give up. Christ will come when we believe that. When people gather together in his name, Christ shows up. And when we reach a community with joy and generosity, Christ shows up. A lot of people always ask, how did Hyphen Church get its name? Hyphen is the Greek word for together. It literally means under one. That's the actual name. But it came from a story that I heard one time about the hyphen that we all have on our tombstone. That when we die, we're going to have two numbers, our birthday and our death day. And guess what? None of those matter. The thing that matters most is the hyphen that's in the middle. What are we doing with the time that God has given us? Because we are going to be remembered by our hyphen. We're going to be the type of people that are defined by what we did in between those two dates. We can be angry, frustrated people. We can be bigots and close people out. Or we can take what Jesus has said of joy and compassion. We can open our hearts to people and we can show them that this is who Jesus is. That in this time of waiting, in this in-between moment, that Jesus has shown up and he is here when we gather. He is here when we reach out. He is here when we open our table to the people that we hate and despise and call sinners. What are we going to do with our time together? What are we going to do with the hyphen in between those dates?